0: number nine of a christmas miscellany twenty eighteen by various this librivox recording is in the public domain number nine christmas eve in a lumber camp by ralph connor it was due to a mysterious dispensation of providence and a good deal to leslie graham that i found myself in the heart of the selkirks for my christmas eve as the year eighteen eighty two was dying it had been my plan to spend my christmas far away in toronto with such bohemian and boon companions as could be found in that cosmopolitan and kindly city but leslie graham changed all that for discovering me in the village of black rock with my traps all packed waiting for the stage to start for the landing thirty miles away he bore down upon me with resistless force and i found myself recovering from my surprise only after we had gone in his lumber sleigh some six miles on our way to his camp up in the mountains I was surprised and much delighted, though I would not allow him to think so, to find that his old-time power over me was still there. He could always, in the old varsity days, dear wild days, make me do what he liked. He was so handsome and so reckless, brilliant in his classwork, and the prince of half-backs in the rugby field, and with such power of fascination as would extract the heart out of a wheelbarrow, as Barney Lundy used to say. And thus it was that I found myself, just three weeks later—I was to have spent two or three days—on the afternoon of December 24, standing in Graham's Lumber Camp number no. 2, wondering at myself. But I did not regret my changed plans, for in those three weeks I had raided a cinnamon bear's den and had weakened up a grizzly. But I shall let the grizzly finish the tale. He probably sees more humor in it than I." the camp stood in a little clearing and consisted of a group of three long low shanties with smaller shacks near them all built of heavy unhewn logs with door and window in each the grub camp with cook shed attached stood in the middle of the clearing at a little distance was the sleeping camp with the office built against it and about a hundred yards away on the other side of the clearing stood the stables and near them the smithy the mountains rose grandly on every side throwing up their great peaks into the sky the clearing in which the camp stood was hewn out of a dense pine forest that filled the valley and climbed halfway up the mountain sides and then frayed out in scattered and stunted trees it was one of those wonderful canadian winter days bright and with a touch of sharpness in the air that did not chill but warmed the blood like draughts of wine The men were up in the woods, and the shrill scream of the blue jay flashing across the open, the impudent chatter of the red squirrel from the top of the grub camp, and the pert chirp of the whiskey-jack hopping about on the rubbish heap with the long, lonely cry of the wolf far down the valley, only made the silence felt the more as i stood drinking in with all my soul the glorious beauty and the silence of mountain and forest with the christmas feeling stealing into me graham came out from his office and catching sight of me called out glorious christmas weather old chap and then coming nearer must you go to-morrow i fear so i replied knowing well that the christmas feeling was on him too i wish i were going with you he said quietly i turned eagerly to persuade him but at the look of suffering in his face the words died on my lips for we both were thinking of the awful night of horror when all his bright brilliant life crashed down about him in black ruin and shame i could only throw my arm over his shoulder and stand silent beside him a sudden jingle of bells roused him and giving himself a little shake he exclaimed there are the boys coming home Soon the camp was filled with men talking, laughing, chaffing like light-hearted boys. They are a little wild tonight, said Graham, and tomorrow they'll paint Black Rock red before many minutes had gone the last teamster was washed up and all were standing about waiting impatiently for the cook's signal the supper to-night was to be a something of a feed when the sound of bells drew their attention to a light sleigh drawn by a buckskin broncho coming down the hillside at a great pace the preacher i'll bet by his driving said one of the men bedad and it hummed out of point nose for turkey," said blaney a good-natured jovial irishman yes or for payday more like said keefe a black-browed villainous fellow-countryman of blaney's and strange to say his great friend big sandy mcnaughton a canadian highlander from glengarry rose up in wrath bill keefe said he with deliberate emphasis you'll just keep your dirty tongue off the minister and as for your pay it's little he sees of it or anyone else except mike slevin when you're too dry to wait for someone to treat you or perhaps father ryan when the fear of hell-fire is on you the men stood amazed at sandy's sudden anger and length of speech bon that's good for you my bully boy said baptiste a wiry little french-canadian sandy's sworn ally and devoted admirer ever since the day when the big scotchman under gray provocation had knocked him clean off the dump into the river and then jumped in for him it was not till afterward i learned the cause of sandy's sudden wrath which urged him to such unwonted length of speech it was not simply that the presbyterian blood carried with it reverence for the minister but that he had a vivid remembrance of how only a month ago the minister had got him out of mike slavin's saloon and out of the clutches of keefe and slavin and their gang of bloodsuckers keefe started up with a curse baptiste sprang to sandy's side slapped him on the back and called out you keel him i heat him up me it looked as if there might be a fight when a harsh voice said in a low savage tone stop your row you fools settle it if you want to somewhere else i turned and was amazed to see old man nelson who was very seldom moved to speech there was a look of scorn on his hard iron-grey face and of such settled fierceness as made me quite believe the tales i had heard of his deadly fights in the mines at the coast before any reply could be made the minister drove up and called out in a cheery voice merry christmas boys hello sandy como se va baptiste and how do you do mr graham first rate let me introduce my friend mr connor sometime medical student now artist hunter and tramp at large but not a bad sort a man to be envied said the minister smiling i am glad to know any friend of mr graham's i liked mr craig from the first he had good eyes that looked straight out at you a clean-cut strong face well set on his shoulders and altogether an upstanding manly bearing he insisted on going with sandy to the stables to see dandy his bronco, put up decent fellow said graham but though he is good enough to his bronco, it is sandy that's in his mind now does he come out often i mean are you part of his parish so to speak i have no doubt he thinks so and i'm blowed if he doesn't make the presbyterians of us think so too and he added after a pause a dandy lot of parishioners we are for any man there's sandy now he would not keefe's head off as a kind of religious exercise but to-morrow keefe will be sober and sandy will be drunk as a lord and the drunker he is the better presbyterian he'll be to the preacher's disgust then after another pause he added bitterly but it is not for me to throw rocks at sandy i am not the same kind of fool but i am a fool of several other sorts then the cook came out and beat a tattoo on the bottom of a dishpan baptiste answered with a yell but though keenly hungry no man would demean himself to do other than walk with apparent reluctance to his place at the table at the further end of the camp was a big fireplace and from the door of the fireplace extended the long board tables covered with platters of turkey not too scientifically carved dishes of potatoes bowls of apple sauce plates of butter pies and smaller dishes distributed at regular intervals two lanterns hanging from the roof and a row of candles stuck into the wall on either side by means of slit sticks cast a dim weird light over the scene there was a moment's silence and at a nod from graham mr craig rose and said i don't know how you feel about it men but to me this looks good enough to be thankful for fire ahead sir called out a voice quite respectfully and the minister bent his head and said for christ the lord who came to save us for all the love and goodness we have known and for these thy gifts to us this christmas night our father make us thankful amen bon dat's fust right, rate said the baptiste seems like dat met me eat more better for sure and then no word was spoken for a quarter of an hour the occasion was far too solemn and moments too precious for anything so empty as words but when the white piles of bread and the brown piles of turkey had for a second time vanished and after the last pie had disappeared there came a pause and a hush of expectancy whereupon the cook and cookee each bearing aloft a huge blazing pudding came forth hooray yelled blaney up with is and grabbing the cook by the shoulders from behind he faced him about Mr. Craig was the first to respond, and seizing the cookie in the same way, called out, "'Squad, fall in, quick march!' In a moment every man was in the procession. "'Strike up, batches, ye little angel!' shouted Blaney, the appellation, a concession to the minister's presence, and away went Baptiste in a rollicking French song with the English chorus. "'Then a blow you winds in the morning, blow you winds, ayo, blow you winds in the morning, blow, blow, blow!' and at each blow every boot came down with a thump on the plank floor that shook the solid roof after the second round mr craig jumped upon the bench and called out three cheers for billy the cook in the silence following the cheers baptiste was heard to say "Bon, i met me feel like that pudding all up myself me here till the little baste said blaney in disgust that cheese remonstrated sandy gravely have more stomach than manners but sure but the more stomach that's more the better for the pudding replied the little frenchman cheerfully after a time the tables were cleared and pushed back to the wall and pipes were produced in all attitudes suggestive of comfort the men disposed themselves in a wide circle about the fire which now roared and crackled up the great wooden chimney hanging from the roof the lumberman's hour of bliss had arrived even old man nelson looked a shade less melancholy than usual as he sat alone well away from the fire smoking steadily and silently when the second pipes were well a-going one of the men took down a violin from the wall and handed it to lachlan campbell there were two brothers campbell just out from argyle typical highlanders lachlan dark silent melancholy with the face of a mystic and angus red-haired quick impulsive and devoted to his brother a devotion he thought proper to cover under biting sarcastic speech lachlan after much protestation interposed with gibes from his brother took the violin and in response to the call from all sides struck up lord macdonald's reel in a moment the floor was filled with dancers whooping and cracking their fingers in the wildest manner then baptiste did the red river jig a most intricate and difficult series of steps the men keeping time to the music with hands and feet when the jig was finished sandy called for Lochaber no more but campbell said no no i cannot play that to-night mr craig will play craig took the violin and at first note i knew he was no ordinary player i did not recognize the music but it was soft and thrilling and got in by the heart till every one was thinking his tenderest and saddest thoughts after he had played two or three exquisite bits he gave campbell his violin saying now Lochaber, lachlan without a word lachlan began not Lochaber; he was not ready for that yet but the flowers of the forest and from that wandered through old robin gray and the land of the leal and so got at last to that most soul-subduing of scottish laments no more at the first strain his brother who had thrown himself on some blankets behind the fire turned over on his face feigning sleep sandy mcnaughton took his pipe out of his mouth and sat up straight and stiff staring into vacancy and graham beyond the fire drew a short sharp breath we had often sat Graham and I in our student days in the drawing-room at home listening to his father wailing out Lochaber upon the pipes and I knew well that the awful minor strains were now eating their way into his soul over and over again the Highlander played his lament He had long since forgotten us, and was seeing visions of the hills and locks and glens of his far-away native land, and making us, too, see strange things out of the dim past. I glanced at old man Nelson, and was startled at the eager, almost piteous look in his eyes, and I wished Campbell would stop. Mr. Craig caught my eye, and, stepping over to Campbell, held out his hand for the violin lingeringly and lovingly the highlander drew out the last strain and silently gave the minister his instrument without a moment's pause and while the spell of Lochaber was still upon us the minister with exquisite skill fell into the refrain of that simple and beautiful camp-meeting hymn the sweet by-and-by after playing the verse through once he sang softly the refrain after the first verse the men joined in the chorus at first timidly but by the time the third verse was reached they were shouting with throats full open we shall meet on that beautiful shore when i looked at nelson the eager light had gone out of his eyes and in its place was a kind of determined hopelessness as if in this new music he had no part after the voices had ceased mr craig played again the refrain more and more softly and slowly then laying the violin on campbell's knees he drew from his pocket his little bible and said men with mr graham's permission i want to read you something this christmas eve you will all have heard it before but you will like it none the less for that his voice was soft but clear and penetrating as he read the eternal story of the angels and the shepherds and the babe and as he read a slight motion of the hand or a glance of an eye made us see as he was seeing that whole radiant drama the wonder the timid joy the tenderness the mystery of it all were borne in upon us with overpowering effect He closed the book, and in the same low, clear voice, went on to tell us how, in his home years ago, he used to stand on Christmas Eve, listening in thrilling delight to his mother telling him the story, and how she used to make him see the shepherds, and hear the sheep bleating nearby, and how the sudden burst of glory used to make his heart jump. I used to be a little afraid of the angels, because a boy told me they were ghosts but my mother told me better, and I didn't fear them any more. And the baby, the dear little baby, we all love a baby. There was a quick dry sob. It was from Nelson. I used to peek through under to see the little one in the straw and wonder what things swaddling clothes were. Oh, it was so real and so beautiful. He paused, and I could hear the men breathing. But one Christmas Eve— He went on in a lower sweeter tone there was no one to tell the story and i grew to forget it and went away to college and learned to think that it was only a child's tale and was not for men then bad days came to me and worse and i began to lose my grip of myself of life of hope of goodness till one black christmas in the slums of a faraway city when i had given up all and the devil's arms were about me i heard the story again And as I listened, with a bitter ache in my heart, for I had put it all behind me, I suddenly found myself peeking under the shepherd's arms with a child's wonder at the baby in the straw. Then it came over me, like great waves, that his name was Jesus, because it was he that should save men from their sins. Save! Save! The waves kept beating upon my ears, and before I knew, I had called out, Oh, can he save me? It was in a little mission meeting on one of the side streets, and they seemed to be used to that sort of thing there, for no one was surprised, and a young fellow leaned across the aisle to me and said, Why, you just bet he can. His surprise that I should doubt his bright face and confident tone gave me hope that perhaps it might be so. I held to that hope with all my soul, and, stretching up his arms and with a quick glow in his face and a little break in his voice, He hasn't failed me yet not once not once he stopped quite short and i felt a good deal like making a fool of myself for in those days i had not made up my mind about these things graham poor old chap was gazing at him with a sad yearning in his dark eyes big sandy was sitting very stiff and staring harder than ever into the fire baptiste was trembling with excitement Blaney was openly wiping the tears away, but the face that held my eyes was that of old man Nelson. It was white, fierce, hungry-looking, his sunken eyes burning, his lips parted as if to cry. The minister went on, I didn't mean to tell you this, men. It all came over me with a rush. But it is true, every word, and not a word will I take back. And what's more, I can tell you this, what he did for me he can do for any man and it doesn't make any difference what's behind him and uh, leaning slightly forward and with a little thrill of pathos vibrating in his voice oh boys why don't you give him a chance at you without him you'll never be the men you want to be and you'll never get the better of that that's keeping some of you now from going back home you know you'll never go back till you're the men you want to be then lifting up his face and throwing back his head he said as if to himself jesus he shall save his people from their sins and then let us pray graham leaned forward with his face in his hands baptiste and blaney dropped on their knees sandy the campbells and some others stood up old man nelson held his eyes steadily on the minister only once before had i seen that look on a human face A young fellow had broken through the ice on the river at home, and as the black water was dragging his fingers one by one from the slippery edges, there came over his face that same look. I used to wake up for many a night after in a sweat of horror, seeing the white face with its parting lips and its piteous, dumb appeal, and the black water slowly sucking it down. Nelson's face brought it all back, but during the prayer the face changed, and seemed to settle into resolve of some sort, stern, almost gloomy, as of a man with his last chance before him. After the prayer, Mr. Craig invited the men to a Christmas dinner next day in Blackrock, and because you are an independent lot, we'll charge you half a dollar for dinner and the evening show. Then, leaving a bundle of magazines and illustrated papers on the table, a godsend to the men he said good-bye and went out i was to go with the minister so i jumped into the sleigh first and waited while he said good-bye to graham who had been hard hit by the whole service and seemed to want to say something i heard mr craig say cheerfully and confidently it's a true bill try him Sandy, who had been steadying Dandy while that interesting bronco was attempting with great success to balance himself on his hind legs, came to say good-bye. "'Come and see me first thing, Sandy.' "'I I know I'll see you, Mr. Craig,' said Sandy, earnestly, as Dandy dashed off at a full gallop across the clearing and over the bridge, steadying down when he reached the hill. "'Steady, you idiot!' This was to Dandy, who had taken a sudden side-spring into the deep snow, almost upsetting us. A man stepped out from the shadow. It was old man Nelson. He came straight to the sleigh, and, ignoring my presence completely, said, "'Mr. Craig, are you dead sure of this? Will it work?' "'Do you mean,' said Craig, taking him up promptly, "'can Jesus Christ save you from your sins and make a man of you?' The old man nodded, keeping his hungry eyes on the other's face." "'Well, here's his message to you. "'The Son of Man is come to seek and save "'that which was lost.' "'To me?' "'To me?' said the old man eagerly. "'Listen, this too is his word. "'Him that cometh unto me "'I will in no wise cast out. "'That's for you, for here you are, coming.' "'You don't know me, Mr. Craig. "'I left my baby fifteen years ago because—' "'Stop!' said the minister. "'Don't tell me, at least not tonight.' perhaps never. Tell him, who knows it all now, and who never betrays a secret, have it out with him. Don't be afraid to trust him. Nelson looked at him, with his face quivering, and said in a husky voice, If this is no good, it's hell for me. If it is no good, replied Craig, almost sternly, it's hell for all of us the old man straightened himself up looked up at the stars then back at mr craig then at me and drawing a deep breath said i'll try him as he was turning away the minister touched him on the arm and said quietly keep an eye on sandy tomorrow." nelson nodded and we went on but before we took the next turn i looked back and saw what brought a lump into my throat it was old man Nelson on his knees in the snow with his hands spread upward to the stars. And I wondered if there was any one above the stars nearer than the stars who could see. And then the trees hid him from my sight. End of Christmas Eve in a Lumber Camp by Ralph Connor.